You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Okay, so we're back here at the path, Live Oak. Um, I'm here with Tawny and Ock, and we're recording another episode of the Path Bike Shop podcast. Um, one of the things I just wanted to kind of spell out what our show is about and what we're going to be doing is uh, we're all associated with the shop, either um, working there or uh, formerly working there or tightly associated via racing. Um, and basically this show, we're going to talk about all things related to mountain biking, whether it's the mountain bike experience, we're going to talk about uh, bike technology. We're going to talk about um, new bikes coming out. What we want to, what we want to ride. Pretty much everything. Um, it's going to be kind of focused about around what things happen in the shop, what things come up, what things are learned, discussed, struggled with. Um, and because it's such a great environment where all this stuff goes down, uh, I think it's a really good opportunity to talk about all these uh, all these topics. So that's pretty much kind of where our show is going to go. Um, we're uh, trying to pair up with uh, Mountain Bike Radio, and so we've got a few suggestions from Ben Welnack. And uh, so this is uh, our third show so far, but it may be the first one that some people actually listen to. Um, and uh, so I think we're going to go from there. We have a few topics that have been kind of brewing this week. This is the first week after Interbike. Um. I went. Uh, we also had the Santa Cruz bike release just recently, and Tawny was up in uh, Downeyville for that product release. Some of you might have seen some of the new bikes coming out. This is Ox. Some of you guys saw, probably, I'm sure, saw the press releases on the various uh, bike sites, Bike Rumor, Vital MTB, and the others. Yeah, and uh, I think everybody's pretty excited about the new Santa Cruz Solo and the new Santa Cruz Bronson. So do you guys want to kick off and start talking about that? Sounds like fun. So what was the Downeyville launch kind of like? Tony, walk us through a little bit of that. And Well, this, this product launch was fairly small and intimate, and only certain dealers were there. There were only a few dealers there, a handful, compared to a lot of product launches. A lot of the product launches that we go to, it's um, auditorium size presentations, hours of sales and product discussions, um, you know, maybe a thousand dealers represented. Um, This had 20 dealers represented. I think we discussed sales and product for maybe in a formal setting for maybe an hour or two. The rest of the time was, you know, riding great trails and hanging out in the river. So, and and that was your first time to Downeyville, yeah? Yeah, I, I've it, it's one of those places that somehow I've managed to never go, and uh, I'm really glad I got a chance to go. And just to just to kind of paint people a little bit of a picture, we're in we're here in Southern California, and Downeyville it's in California, but it's more northern, like northernish California. So it's it's about a good solid nine to ten hour drive up there. So a lot of people probably in other parts of the country think, "Hey, if you live in California, why haven't you been to Downeyville yet?" It's like, "Well, because California is a big state and it's pretty far away. We could actually easily get to Colorado in 9 hours." Well, and there's a lot of good riding between here and there. Yeah, definitely a lot of distractions on the way up. But, you know, some of the things about Downeyville that really struck me, um this the trail stewardship that's been set up there um I, is just extraordinary. Um their what what they're doing is like nothing I've ever seen in terms of 
um, participation and enthusiasm and, and just having a great attitude and a lot of fun. And, uh, you, I believe it's you, but, uh, expeditions, Yuba expeditions is kind of the, they're the shop in town and they're, they're the backbone of it all as from what I can tell really great outfit. And, uh, the trails are extensive. You can, the shuttle, the shuttle is easy. You can also ride, you know, you can also ride your bike to the top. The river that runs through town is, is amazingly clean and clear. And, uh, it's from what I understand, it's the last county in California with no open container laws. So you can sit in the river and drink a beer and wait for the sheriff and, Nice, it's, nice. It's you know, so we're in a pretty rural setting here in, in Tribuco Canyon on the kind of r- rural buffer zone between Orange County and the Cleveland National Forest. And I found Dannyville to be kind of like if you took these canyons and plopped them down in the middle of the Sierra Nevada with nothing around, it's really cool. Very nice. Yeah, I've I've been up there. Uh, I went up there for the first time two years ago to do the Dannyville race with uh, Josh, another racer from the shop. And uh, I went the following year. I didn't go this year, but that is one of the coolest events. But it's that town makes it awesome, and those trails are so rugged, and and the town is just really awesome. It's this old little mining town, and that's I'm really stoked that you finally got to go up there. No cell phone service, no Wi-Fi for the most part. You know, you go into these establishments and you ask them if they have Wi-Fi, and with a big smile on their face, they're like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> See, I've never been to Downeyville either. I've got to I've got to get up there sometime soon. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a commitment. It's a you you burn a day going and burn a day coming back for sure. That's the truth. So to kind of put it in perspective, from Southern California up to NorCal, which is typically talked about as San Francisco, NorCal or San Francisco is like a five and a half or six hour drive. So just think another three hours stacked on top of that. Slightly yeah. different direction. Though. Yeah, and it's it gets windy towards the end too. Like it's mountain driving to get out there. It's for sure. Man, uh, I love it. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> So, so the bikes, so we got, they launched the Santa Cruz Solo and the Bronson together this time, which totally makes sense. The very cousin bikes, a 130 and a, and a 150 version of probably two of their most popular bikes. And, uh, I think there was a lot of buzz, a little bit of, little bit of buzz on the internet, but they, that kept it pretty quiet, but you actually got to ride them in some really good terrain. So, yeah, um, I did. And I, I mean, I was definitely very impressed. Um, yeah, we saw the numbers a, a few days before I went up there and, and it was everything we were kind of hoping for with about a 20 millimeter longer reach and a little bit shorter chain stays and a little bit lower bottom bracket and a little bit slacker head angle on both models. And then, um, we, on the first morning we did the little dog and pony show where they, uh, introduced the new product and talked about it. And, uh, the first thing they started talking about was the new leverage rate curves and how much better, how, how happy they were with the rework they did on the VPP suspension. And, uh, I was real excited to get to the numbers and, and all that. Um, but that those words kind of stuck in my head and they definitely, I think, ring true to me now uh, having ridden the bikes they do seem significantly plusher at the top end and and a sm- you know better small bump compliance and better um better slow speed compliance and at the same time which is somewhat 
somewhat opposing kind of concepts better support through the mid-stroke, blow, blowing through less travel. So kind of plusher where you want it and firmer where you want it with a little bit maybe more natural feeling, steady ramp up, less kind of less of a less of a extreme leverage rate curve and more of just a steady ramp up. Yeah, because that, that's one thing we've talked about on the side before. And I, I've had a couple of Santa Cruz's now over the years, various VPP bikes, and they do have kind of like, I would almost say a little bit of an acquired taste with the leverage curve, like how they kind of, they're kind of soft in the middle, maybe stiff a little bit in the top and ramp up real hard at the end. A little bit of pedal kickback, kind of yeah. spring out of turns mm-hmm. a little bit. All yeah. that stuff's been toned down, I think. Yeah, and that's one thing we had talked about uh, when I I bought a Kona Process 153, and it has a really kind of natural leverage curve. It just ramps up. And there's nothing odd about it, um, and I actually kind of like that, and that is in part why I got the Kona at the time that I did. Um, but now hearing that Santa Cruz is kind of going in that direction, it uh, I'm I'm stoked to hear that. It'll be really interesting to see riding a, a Bronson like bike with the changed um changed leverage uh ratio and curve as opposed to like the the process one fifty three. Yeah. The the Bronson numbers look very close to the process one fifty three numbers as far as just basic basic geometry numbers. Yeah, I did I did um I have a handy dandy little spreadsheet where I've kind of kept track of a bunch of different bikes as they come out and I was actually a little surprised to see that the the 153 reach number actually is a little bit longer a tad shorter on the chain stays and actually ends up riding a little lower sagged ride height Eric or Ock your spreadsheet is awesome <laughs> I really enjoyed it I really I'm going to use it from for many things I've got to add I noticed that you know this is a great time of year because not only is Santa Cruz releasing new bikes, but uh, Intense is coming out with their new bikes and, and other companies as well. Since we brought up the spreadsheet, I think we should tell people what it is. It's it's a bunch of bikes that we've been around or associated with or ridden, and it shows a lot of their key geometry numbers, you know, bottom bracket height, head angle, um, I think it's rear travel, reach, head angle, stay length, yep. sag, travel. sagged ride height, you know, it's based on a – 28 or 30, 30% sag. So you can quickly see, like, of all these bikes, which one has the longest reach or whatever you want to look for, and it's pretty cool. Now, just out of curiosity, did you standardize that to mediums? It actually is uh, standardized pretty much to mediums. Okay. Because uh, I'm a medium, usually. Yeah. <laughs> well, for the most part, all of these bikes have the same head angle, chainstay length, bottom bracket height throughout the sizes, and the reach generally goes up by 25 millimeters for each size on almost all of these models. Yeah, that that's pretty typical. Um, yeah, uh, I've done similar, probably not as organized as yours, Ock, but I've done a few, and uh, but I always lean towards the largest because <laughs> I ride the largest. <laughs> so we always follow you know, whatever size we do, right? Can I get a copy of your spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so just the funny thing is I started doing it in a 2D CAD. Um, you know, I'm an engineer by day job, and so I have access to a CAD program. And after a while, I kind of had a tough time visualizing it. And so I finally started actually CADing in stack and reach plus stem. And so I was equalizing my bike. So I'd have, let's say, one bike that I really liked the fit, and I w- wanted to see how a new bike would compare I kind of ran the stack and reach number plus the stem and so just compare bar position. That's awesome. 
That's impressive. That's <laughs> actually we should figure some way to get that readily available. Yeah, the the nice thing is is when you do get a new bike and it say it has a different stacker reach, you at least understand which stem you should start with to equalize it. So for example, you get one bike, you know, out on the west coast we run short stems. So if you have a bike and you're running a 50 mil stem, maybe on your new one, if it's a little shorter, you might have to run a 60 or 65. So it'll at least give you a, a heads up of kind of what compromises you might have to make going going to one bike or another. Is there like somewhere in the country where people are running long stems? Uh, yep. I think uh, some of the other shows on, on uh, mountain bike radio are a little bit on the on the east side of the Mississippi and a little bit flatter terrain. But uh, out here on the west coast... Uh, we we pretty much start with a fifty mil stem and make adjustments from there. <laughs> typically, typically shorter. <laughs> if if we can get them shorter, man, yeah, everybody's like, who's buying those forty mil stems? We are out here, and and uh, but yeah, we got steep terrain, and and that's the kind of stuff we we like to play on. And we like to follow every every fashion statement to its final outcome. Uh, yep, yeah, there, there's a solid <laughs> element there, um, for sure. Well, so. Along these lines of the of the Santa Cruz, though, let's get back to the, some of the new changes. Yeah. So things I didn't touch on, um, all of all of all of the fifty tens and Bron- new, it's the it's the two versions, the fifty ten two and the Bronson two They have shorter seat tubes and thirty one six seat seat tube diameters, and they come except for the small with a one fifty reverb stealth. That's sweet. That's. Once again, Santa Cruz knows what they're doing. They know mountain bikes like no other, and they know that that's it. Everybody who's building bikes, at least out here in our part, neck of the woods with uh, with dropper posts, wants that 150-millimeter drop. It's even to the point where guys who are riding 125s on, on longer-travel bikes uh, on steep terrain, even with the 125 dropper, will ride with a quick release so that they can drop it even further on the on the steep terrain. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I was riding last night in one of our local canyons, and and uh, yep, one guy has a one twenty five mil dropper, and he's got about three extra inches. And certain trails, he gets that three extra inch drop out of it with a quick release. Yeah, and then the other thing is these bikes come with boost spacing. So the ones we got in now don't have boost forks because I guess SRAM doesn't have those ready yet, and and they're going to start coming with boost forks and bikes that ship, I guess, in November. But there's been a lot of talk about boost spacing and its validity and its legitimacy and its and its um, life expectancy and all that. Um, Santa Cruz talked about how part of boost is that it moves the chain line out, which allows for ultimately more real estate to have really short chain stays and a front derailleur. Um, there's the question of, you know, is three millimeters – on each side, on each side, relevant, and uh, I want to I want to check some wheels and see how much e- more even the spoke tension is between a drive side and a non drive side before I give my opinion on that. But yeah, so little little engineering nerd out thing that I did. I I set up I same thing. Engineer have access to CAD software. I also have access to finite element analysis software. So I and I that's part of my day job. So I I pretty comfortable with that. So I did a little setup, just a very simplified version of bracing angle. And my idea was that an asymmetrical rim will even out the spoke tension and give you ultimately a stiffer wheel than Boost 148 will. I, based on my very rough estimations, I set that up, and my analysis said no. 
Boost 148 is stiffer. So you had you had a hypothesis, you tested it, and the, and so far what you've come up with is that your hypothesis was inaccurate. Correct. So I I was of the opinion that asymmetrical rims were were hot shit, and that was the way to go. That was going to be the um, that would give you more of an effect than the wider flanges, and it's just not. It's based on my pre- very rough estimation. It's not correct, and I got to believe that. Um, the guys at Trek or the guys at SRAM who developed this um, compared that, and I got to imagine that there was some stiffness gain to go to Boost 148. And based on based on the rough math, I think they're right. I'd be interested in seeing if you could run different scenarios, you know, Boost with asymmetric rims. Well, so the interesting thing is, and I would have to actually do a little bit more thinking, a little bit more research about this. Oh, um, yes. But remember, when yes. you twist a rim, yes. remember, so one side has a poor bracing angle and one side has a better bracing angle. And you think pushing it in one direction biases one way or the other. Well, remember, the other side of the rim is pulling in the opposite direction. So you're always getting the benefit and the detriment of the good bracing angle and the bad bracing angle. Now, this once again, this is in theory. I'm sure there's some wheel engineers out there that have put way more time into it than the 15 minutes that I played with it at lunch. But after doing that analysis, I have much less visceral hatred for the concept of Boost 148. <laughs> so, I mean, here from my perspective, the, it, you know, and I guess maybe to a degree this might be the shop perspective, I feel like on a lot of rear wheels – the non-drive spokes are just barely tight enough when the drive side is at optimum tension. And so if it, if it allows us to get that non-drive side spoke tension 5 or 10 KSA higher or just or higher in, in any measurable way, then I think that's good. I think that you'll have less detensioning and and less and when when you do get a little bit of, you know, whatever it is that causes a spoke to get a little looser, the nipple seating into the rim or whatever it is um that elbow bending a little more. i just don't i don't know what what it is i'm told spokes don't stretch but i know sometimes they get a little looser seemingly without the nipple turning yeah definitely and there i i've talked to some coworkers as well about just kind of wheel theory and and once upon a time in college i worked at uh, velomax wheel systems which later turned into easton wheels and all i can say is there is theoretical wheel science and there is some real wheel practice and how wheels actually respond and how wheels theoretically should respond are different. They're a very complex system. I think they're pretty hard to model, even for the people who make careers out of them. Um, but I am all for better, better, even more even tension, which is why I'm a big fan of asymmetric rims. I think they're, they're great. Um, but uh, so there is a place for boost 148. I totally agree with that. But I will say, just from in context of the Santa Cruz move, I was surprised, and I, I was totally on the fence, had no idea what to expect. I was surprised that they did the jump to boost 148 on the small wheel sizes because this year it seemed like there was going to be a, a separation between aggressive 29ers, get boost 148, and everybody else is staying on 142. And Santa Cruz, I think Santa Cruz took the lead on that, and a lot of people are going to follow. And Isn't Trek doing boost on most of their bikes? I thought Trek was only doing it, I'll at do least for now, on their re- aggressive 29 are, the are those by any chance their most recently redesigned bikes? 
I would have to check. I haven't looked into Trek's lineup really closely, but I thought that their 650B bikes were keeping 142 and their Remedy 29s were getting the Boost 148. So there, there's, to me, there's a few debates. There's is it better and is it better enough to do it? And there's is it going to be here to stay? And uh, I th- the trend I'm seeing is if if a if a man if a brand actually comes out with a new product not just new color and graphics they're putting boost spacing on it and if and i know that's i know that's the plan like i'm pretty sure that's the plan at kona i'm pretty sure that's the plan at our other core brands yeah and so and but talking about is it just a blip i guess the question is is 157 eventually going to take over and be all bikes 157, which is the typical downhill spacing? But we saw this year Kona's new downhill bike came back to 148. So their downhill bike now runs 148. They're talking about a storyline of narrow, narrower stance width and narrower clearance for tight, rocky situations. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll see. But either way, Santa Cruz market typically market. To an extent, a market trendsetter. They came out with two bikes in the most interesting categories this year, and they are Boost 148. I I think that's a sign of things to come. Yeah, I I, I mean, I would say the writing's on the wall. It's like 35 millimeter bar clamps and and big diameter seat posts. It's I don't see us going backwards. Yeah, definitely. Uh, did you happen to look up? Tre- yeah, I was looking slash- at it there. Uh- I wonder what their slash 650 is. I guess they only have a 650 in the slash. Yeah. Sorry. Which is their six inch travel enduro bike that a lot of their EWS athletes are running. Yeah. Here we go. Slash is on the, give me a, give me a second here. Okay. While we're, while you're looking that up, I mean, I think the next topic of conversation with the new 5010 and the new Bronson is who gets the Bronson, who gets the 5010, who gets a nomad. Yeah, definitely. Nathan called it. 29s are boost and 27 and a half or not. Yep. Oh, wow. So Trek, the where where the birthing of the boost came from has not even boosted their short travel bike. But I wonder small if wheel these bikes. are newly retooled bikes this year. I, I suspect that they're not, and I suspect that when they retool them, they will be boost. I Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think you're correct. I, w- I bet my money on that. Yeah, that's actually very, very interesting. I was surprised, too, to see that, uh, to see... Um, to see Santa Cruz move that way on their 27.5 bikes as well. They seemed really confident that it was the right move. They felt that there was a, a, no, a little bit of better stiffness and a little bit of better wheel strength, and it allowed them to get the chain stays shorter and keep a front derailleur. And, and, you know, the next thing that, you know, with Boost, there's a lot of questions that come up, and one of the big topics in the in the shop this week has been, do, do bikes with Boost – rear ends need different cranks. And I think we got to the bottom of that in the shop this week. So what, what we basically found out is that for, for crank models that have a removable spider, there will just be a different spider to correct the chain line for crank models that have a direct mount single ring with race face. Their old chain line was already a little outboard Right. Yeah, and I remember that. They're they're not doing a new chain line chain ring. That makes sense because on my on my I run I really like race face cinch cranks and I have a 
quite a few of them in my garage. And I went to Wolf Tooth Chain Rings to get them slightly inboard because the stock race face rings were too out for my taste. If I remember correctly, the Wolf Tooth direct mount chain ring for a singe crank moves the chain line in three millimeters. I, I think you're I think you're right. Which is exactly how much you would need to move it out for boost That's facing. Exactly right. so. so there you go. Tip. If you have race face cranks with cinch moving forward and you get boost 148, you can still use those cranks. If you're using a direct mount single ring. From race face. On cinch cranks. On cinch cranks. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a dual ring, you'll need a different spider to correct the chain line. And they have that spider in stock from what I understand. Now, SRAM will have different direct mount rings for boost than for than for regular 143, but the arms will be the same. Shimano okay. has a, an actual different crank set. I'm not sure if the arms are actually different, but that spider's pressed on at the factory. Right. They're, yeah, it's, Shimano's never – oh, well, not for 15 years or so have they done a removable spider. And I doubt they're going to get full on board with the Boost 148 <laughs> situation to – accommodate their competitors well what if i'm running a white industries eno crank on mine <laughs> you're on your own you gotta figure that one out you, you gotta go you gotta get a um a six millimeter longer spindle on your Philwood right. bottom record <laughs> <laughs> which i'm sure phil wood will have in their catalog i think i might actually have a 123 wide <laughs> or just nice. accept that your chain line's more optimized for granny than for the for for that other end of the cassette yeah. Well, and once again, I you know I talk about kind of our riding around here. I find myself parked in that granny, just cr- <laughs> cranking up steep climbs so often. So that's a big part of why on my race face cranks I got the wolf tooth chainring because I climb so hard in that big, that big cog. Um, I want to favor that side of the cassette. I think most people are better favoring that side of the cassette. Most people are loading it up harder towards that end. Yeah. Well, so you might be able to just keep your wolf. Uh, well, if I go boost 148, I'll have to put the race face chain ring back on, which is slightly farther out. Okay, so we got so we got the boost 148 on, but uh, going back to what Tony was bringing up, so we have the Bronson, we have the Solo, and this is probably a question that comes up and in the, the shop Nomad. and the Nomad. So yeah, this has been this was a discussion at the Santa Cruz dealer launch. We were asking them, they were asking us, we were asking each other. Them being Santa Cruz folks and us being dealers and um, yeah, it was a topic of conversation for sure. And it's one of the, I mean, we have, you have three bikes each separated by about a degree of head angle and about 20 millimeters of travel. Yeah. Well, so, 10, 10 millimeters between the Bronson and the Nomad. And, right. So right now we go, so at least head angle, let's play the head angle game. It goes 67, 66, 65. From my recollection. Yes. From my spreadsheet, yes, too. <laughs> Excellent. Hard numbers. I like it. And then we go 130 travel now, bumped up from 125 on the solo. So we got 130, 150, 165. Nathan doesn't even need the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> so so three fairly evenly spaced bikes, uh, three arguably very close use cases, but maybe distinctly different. Well, here's an interesting, a couple other uh, measurements. So going along that same trend, you have the 5010 with a reach of both the 5010 and the Bronson with the reach of 16 and three quarters. And the uh, Nomad has a reach of 16.4. 
I would bet dollars for donuts that when they redesign the Nomad someday, it will be as long or longer than the Bronson in fifty ten. I think it's just a little. It's it's just a year or so behind on the progression of that. Well, what's very yeah. interesting is that the old fifty ten, the fifty ten one, actually had a reach of fifteen point nine on a medium. So they started even moving that way with the with the Nomad. And then even further progressed on the 5010. They're just hopscotching each other right now. I think so. And then if you looked at, what's interesting too is if you looked at the sagged ride height, the Santa Cruz, uh, the Nomad actually has the lowest uh, sagged ride height at somewhere between 11.3 and 11.4. Let me see. Is that the lowest of those three models or the lowest on your spreadsheet? It's. It is very near the lowest on the spreadsheet. You yeah, know, very I, much so, and definitely the lowest of the three models. Sorry, Nathan. It's almost yeah. it's it's over a quarter inch lower than the than the fifty ten and the Bronson. And the, the Bronson has the highest ride height. Yeah, but it's very close. It's interesting. To the 50-10. Yeah, the fifty ten and the Bronson. So the Bronson two has a ride height of eleven point six six, and the fifty ten has a ride height of. Of eleven point six one, so I mean it's and really. You're basing this on thirty percent sag 30% on the forehand rear shock, right? But I think the well, that's actually interesting. It's it's really based on the on just the sag of the rear rear suspension. So it's actually everything is shifted down a little bit because you're actually dropping the front end as well. So real life ride height, which might even be a little, be a lower. little lower. Yes. Well, I can I can at least attest to that the Nomad's got a mighty low bottom bracket. I can too. I rode that bike for a while. Yeah, it's it's mighty mighty low. I really like that about it. In yeah, com- yeah, true. And so, in comparison, the process uh, the process, Kona Process One Fifty Three, which we compared earlier to the Bronson, has a a slightly lower sagged ride height of um, 11.54, so 11.5, which it falls almost directly between the, the Bronson and the Nomad. Interesting. So back to the original question. which So we, customer comes in, where do they fit? Where, where, where's, I guess some of the questions they could ask about, okay, which one, because right now I have an older solo uh, older solo and uh the current nomad and uh that that kind of fits a good range for me you know if i'm trail riding or need to keep up on the climbs i ride the solo but when i don't care about climbing i'm going to ride aggressively i ride the nomad so i think a lot of people are just going to get a bronson um i think people who might have gotten a nomad might get a bronson because the, the new leverage rate curve really does feel that good and um, maybe the, the longer reach and, and stuff like that. Um, and because it's a, it, it has a fresher, it just has a fresher thing going on with, with more modern standards and everything. I, I think that the Nomad's going to be for that person who's pretty serious about riding some park or some DH on it or, or really serious, hard, you know, heavy downhill enduro style stuff. And then I think the 5010 is going to be for the person who maybe has to, when the bike really does have to see a lot of climbing. Or or the person who really likes a snappier turning bike. I mean, 
the, the Nomad for sure, and to a degree, even the Bronsoner bikes that you, you do have to lean them over pretty good to turn them and you have to, you, you have to ride them like you mean it. And, and, and in real tight stuff, they might, and, and mid speeds, they might not feel real lively or, or, or real maneuverable. Yeah. That's a conversation I've had, um, before is that these, as these bikes become more and more longer, lower and slacker, um, you got to ride them more aggressively to get them to respond. You know, you can't, um, and and this, I'm not sure. I've you know I've pretty much always lived in California, and I've never lived anywhere with like rolling hills and flatter trails. Um, maybe it's a little bit of a concern in that those parts of the country, but out here we're either crawling up a hill or or jamming down something super steep. So it works for us out here. But I could imagine maybe if you're like you know we have a trail out here called the Fullerton Loop. If you rode that all the time, would a long low slack bike kind of just feel like you're never really getting it up to speed like a race car well, that you got to say i mean yeah. even it's not just the fullerton loop it, there's i would say the majority of mountain bikers in southern california are never riding anything gnarly enough to really get the bronson going it's it's just not the people we're hanging out with <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely we're we're we run in the crew that finds all the really steep and gnarly nooks and crannies i mean you go to you you go to some of the local races and you hear you hear throngs hundreds and hundreds of people talking about um just how insanely steep and rocky rocket is or something like that and and how intimidating shoots at at, at oaks is and those are those are good chunky trails that I remember having my eyeballs bounce around in my head on my hardtail back in the day, but like they're they're not the trails you were picturing. I don't think when you were talking about West Coast riding. Yeah, definitely. So that's that's an interesting point. So I guess from from you seeing people come into the shop, do you find that a lot of people are maybe over biking themselves for what they actually are riding? Like a lot of guys maybe buying a, a Nomad or a Bronson when a solo would be great and actually maybe have a more overall yes and no i mean maybe a lot of them i think like the comfort of the added travel and even of the slacker head angle sometimes and and a lot of those bikes have a little more upright riding position because of the taller forks and um there's a lot of reasons i see why people who may not be riding the gnarliest trails still enjoy a bike that can that that has some of those qualities um and then you see people – I think a lot of it is what, how fast they're trying to go on the flat and on the uphill too. But do you think that sometimes like overbiking can – it's kind of that fantasy, right? And maybe we could touch on that a little bit too is when you close your eyes, what bike do you fantasize about? But what I was kind of thinking about is way back when the path did that custom custom geometry Ventana Cyclone uh, that was slacker, lower, longer – uh, one of the things I remember thinking about as I rode that bike, being a guy, I said, "Man, this bike is kind of like a jealous girlfriend." Like as soon as I, as soon as I showed the least amount of non-commitment, I was punished. I was punished. <laughs> but as soon as I committed full commitment, boy, that bike gave me some good love. So I think you could apply that to either either sexes. Well, I think yeah. that modern geometry rewards. Getting up over the bottom bracket, being confident, and it, and it does not reward that old school kind of back behind the saddle riding style. Yeah, definitely. That's that's one thing I've seen a lot. Like, there, we ride with some old school guys that have been riding for a little for quite a while. And yeah, I remember back in the day, you get back behind the seat, put your arms back, like 
the bikes are not meant for that anymore. You need to get after it with those bikes. Ride them centered. Ride them no matter how steep you're going. Center up. Elbow, get after elbow it. Elbow out. Elbow out. And it's really interesting to, to kind of touch on this where one of the guys I was riding with was saying, oh, I feel so much more stable riding my my 29er hardtail race bike down shoots rather than my my trance 27.5 trance and i was like whoa what what's going on with that and i think i started to realize it was that he was riding way off the back arms out you know off the back and and that type of that position you can maintain a more stable perhaps more stable ride down a a medium chunky trail doing that on a on a 29er than you can on like a, a modern geometry bike. Well, or on a, on a fairly smooth, but loose and dusty trail, a 29er hardtail might feel more stable than a 140 in kind of mid trail enduro bike. Yeah. And the now, wheels might stay planted better. You might get better traction. You probably have more bottom bracket drop. And the more you, the more like the less committed you are, the more that maybe plays out in favor of the 29er. Yeah. So basically, the long and the short of it is, if if you are in the market for these new modern geometry bikes, long, low, slack, be prepared. You need to ride them like you mean it. But also, don't be surprised if you don't see yourself as that person and you like it. We, yeah. I see a ton of people who don't fit that 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 people who maybe like to tool around in nature or people who maybe don't have the fitness to really always be pushing it like that or or just people who are newer to the sport and haven't developed those skills yet who really do seem to enjoy the modern bikes they they enjoy the fact that they don't feel like they're going over the bars as much the lower bottom brackets make them feel safer and closer to the ground um and they they see people riding and they emulate that riding style. And if they do that on the wrong bike, it's scary, you know, cause it used to be right. Like we would take people out on their first ride and we would take them down something a little bit steep and everyone would get to the bottom and look up to him and just start shouting, like, get back further back, get back, get back further back, further back, further back. <laughs> right. Like, and we're, we're not doing that for new riders anymore. So they need equipment that can handle that. We're not telling them that anymore. Well, what's interesting as we kind of, continue to talk about this is i think sometimes when when a customer walks into the shop or one of my friends talks about buying a bike i sometimes think when they close their eyes and they envision themselves on a bike they might see themselves on a bronson or even a nomad um, because that's they, they envision that aggressive riding but what maybe they aren't quite realizing is that maybe a 5010 is going to be is going responsive. to be more responsive, is going to be just as capable on virtually everything that they're going to ride, and it's going to allow them to ride a little bit more conservatively without kind of having that that instability. Or I think that's true for some riders, but I think it's a dangerous generalization. And there's so many reasons. Like, you know, the guy with the big gut might just be more comfortable with some more travel and like a longer fork or, you know, and that's just one example, um, you know. There's so many examples of why. There, so I think you know. I think a good analogy for what you're talking about, Ock, is that kind of like monster truck on the freeway, or like the supercar as a commuter car. It's like you're really you have this equipment that's capable of something that you're not doing with it. And I think that to a degree, 
we do see that, but I think there are also just so many shapes and sizes and mm. styles. And it's amazing how often something turns out to be really a great fit for someone who maybe that wasn't who the ma- the designer imagined writing it or who doesn't really fit the bill of what we're talking yeah. about. That's a great point. So maybe the once again, it goes back to get the bike that you want to get, but just understand the differences. But at the same time, maybe it, maybe it's a little bit of chicken or the egg argument too. Maybe when you get that new long, low, slack, aggressive bike, maybe it opens doors for you. And for most riders who haven't bought a new bike in a few years, all three of these models are going to feel long, low, and slack. Um, and and you're going to feel equally capable on all three. I mean, not equally capable, but 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 you're going to be able to ride each one of these bikes. Well, so yeah. like lo- local trails and bikes. Like I see myself on everything at Oaks. I think I'd be fastest on the fifty ten, which makes sense. And and these are. Fairly steep trails, but not super rocky trails. There's some, and there's some tight yeah, turns, and tight turns, yeah. And there's areas where the added acceleration helps, and and a lot of it's the rider. Like some riders might just be a little more confident going down Hawk on a Nomad or a Bronson, but I've ridden that trail a bajillion times, and it's it's something I just enjoy riding, and it's I don't, I you know, it doesn't put me in that spot. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And it took me a little while of of even riding a slightly longer traveled bike on a trail like Hawk, which starts off pretty high speed straight away with some um, one foot steps downs into a really hard left at the bottom. There's some tight turns, there's a couple pretty techy semi waterfall uh um sections, um couple small drops. Uh, that type of trail. And, and it took me a little while of riding a longer travel bike on that trail to get comfortable at a little higher speed. And then as I started transitioning to shorter travel bikes, I realized that, ooh, the shorter travel bike with the snappier turning and what have you may actually be funner and faster. Yeah, I actually second that because I've, I've always historically kind of leaned towards longer travel bikes. And more recently, I've kind of gone back to shorter travel bikes. But I feel like my experience in learning to ride aggressive stuff and difficult trails on longer travel bikes made it comfortable for me to go back to shorter travel bikes and then get some of the benefits on keeping up with, say, a group on a climb. But then I still feel like I'm fast on the downhills, but took that learning curve. And I've heard this de- debate before, too. A lot of people have been like, oh, when do I need a downhill bike for? Well, sometimes a longer bike or the longer travel bike kind of open, opens doors and teaches you what's possible and how to do things with a little bit more safety. And then you learn to do it. You know, you learn to do a gnarly trail on your downhill bike and then you realize, oh, I, I can do it on my trail bike. Well, on a downhill bike, and I think to a degree 29ers with, with a little bit of a slacker head angle and just any bike, all these bikes, they really force you, like kind of like what Ock was talking about earlier, they force you to ride... They force you to corner the right way. You can't uh, – you're on a downhill bike. You want to, like, turn the handlebars to make a turn and kind of tool around a corner. It's not going to happen. you got to lean it over. you got to weight the bike. you got to rip the turn or nothing's going to happen. Right, right. And as as a lot of bikes are moving more towards that kind of downhill bike heritage, you're taking more – you know, not getting all the way there, but taking steps in that direction, that riding technique makes those bikes work better, arguably. I think so. Very much so. 
Yeah. So what if we took that? Um, what if we took that transition from a longer travel bike to a shorter travel bike, even one step farther, and said to a hardtail? Uh, that's a tough one. That's I've, a tough one. I've got a hardtail plan for this year. Ah, interesting. Well, I guess uh, that that's one of the things we wanted to talk about tonight. So it sounds like Tani wants to build a new hardtail. Ock, we, there's been some email going back and forth. Ox in the in the market as well. Um, is there anything else we want to wrap up about the new Santa Cruises before we want to talk about uh, maybe some 2016 uh, hardtail builds? Well, maybe we just talk about all of our plans for bikes for 2016. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, so because I think we're all going to get new bikes. I mean, I and I'm I'm going to sell my bikes and get new bikes. Yep. So we got new bikes coming for 2016. I know. Speaking in line with the Santa Cruises, Ock, you have a 5010 on order. I've got one on order with NV wheels. With NV wheels, if I'm going to do it, I might have figured I might as well go all the way. If you're going to go, go big. That's right. So uh, Ox getting a new 5010. So that pretty much wraps up what he thinks of the new Santa Cruises. Hasn't thrown a leg over one, but he knows it's not going to suck. That's right. Um, Did I tell you guys we got the new Bronsons in today? I, I saw that on the webpage. So the Path Bike Shop in Tustin, California, new Bronsons in stock. Check them out. What colors and sizes do you have over there? We got um, Bronson 2.0, CC, X01, black, medium, and large. Sweet. Oh, dang. That black. That almost pushed me back to getting a Bronson because that that blacked out. That's a sexy bike. It's a good-looking bike. It I is. haven't seen it. Is it black on black like the original Nomad? It's, it's close. A, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. close. It's black and gray, and it's mostly black. Nice. It is. Very cool. I'm I'm a sucker for the pop colors myself. <laughs> I always have to get the pop color, which is why I have the orange uh, solo and the uh, the new emerald green uh nomad but uh i can i can appreciate the black yeah the new the new blue has a nice subtle pop to it on the 5010 i yeah. think that might be what i'm getting is a blue 5010 i'm trying to f- figure it out see personally i went with the black 5010 with the with the green green ish graphics yeah emerald sweet okay so hardtail builds what uh what are we thinking here in in hardtail land I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a Hanzo AL. Nice with the one for it with the boost rear. It has boost. Han, Han, yeah, the new the new 2016 Kona Hanzo aluminum frame, which is available frame only. Uh, it is. It's not available yet frame only. Okay. Actually, you know what? I take that back. We have one showing up like this week or next. Okay, but it so, will so. in in general as people during the year say, "Hey, I want a Hanzo, and I want to build it." something different it is something that's available from kona as a frame only definitely i think all three models the hanzo al the hanzo steel and the the hanzo tie are all available frame only okay and the steel is only available as a frame only this year right okay but is the steel 142 the steel is not redesigned it is 140 it is 142 yeah and same and same with the tie correct okay but the aluminum is Boost 148, so we went over Boost 148, and I definitely going to be a good benefit on the 29er aggressive wheel. It's big wheel, a little bit more bracing angle, probably going to feel it for sure. But so Tani's in on the Hanzo aluminum. Ak, our email chain, you got quite a few suggestions to get that, although you had a few other choices on your deck. Yeah, so I was actually looking at 
according to my spreadsheet. The um, I wasn't totally convinced on the on the um, on the Boost one forty eight, uh, but you know the new AL the Hanzo AL also has a slightly longer reach uh, and definitely has a slightly um, uh, better tire clearance. So I mean those those are playing into it as well. Now it's when you say too. when you say longer, you mean you currently have an older Hanzo steel. I have an older Hanzo steel, so I think that would probably even be like a, a fourteen. It's the gold it's the gold with the orange lettering. So it was before it's it's actually a different bike. It's actually a yeah. It it has a they did go to a the longer reach, uh the sh- super short stay, chain stays. It's a very similar um geometry to the process uh one one eleven. It just doesn't – the one you have just mainly doesn't have as radically low of a, of a top tube as the current Hanzo steel. Correct. And I think the new Hanzos – and again, I don't have them on my spreadsheet, but I think they actually do have a slightly longer reach. And nice. de- Each generation does. And yeah. definitely better tire clearance because I can't get a, a two two five rock razor into the into the rear of my – Oh, holy cow. Well, that I, is, I, I can, but – I can, but every time I lean it over, it's like – Ah, you're hearing the, yeah, <laughs> the tire boost spacing. Yeah. yeah, boost spacing. Boost spacing it is. Yeah. Well, so, but also that aluminum one's significantly lighter. Yeah. I see. So my thought is, um, I have a carbon race bike, Kona uh, Kahuna, uh, carbon from last year. I got the size small because it does have a slightly steeper head angle and a lower bottom bracket than the size medium Kahunas. Uh, so I, I went that way with the with the longer. With the longer, um, with the longer, uh, longer stem. stem, sorry. And so I, I'm actually trying to figure out: can one bike, one hardtail, rule them all? So instead of having a steel Hanzo and a, a carbon race bike, one aluminum Hanzo, one aluminum hard Hanzo. Well, and I'll I'll throw my. I'm I'm a little farther away from you guys on executing this plan, but uh, I recently sold my. Uh, Kona Carbon Hey Hey full suspension. So that was my full suspension cross country race bike. So I sold that. And I also have a Kona King Kahuna um, Carbon Hardtail. And I'm considering selling that and trying to build up an aluminum Hanzo in cross country race equipment. Now, I I know I'm going to be slightly disappointed about how light it gets. It's probably going to build out maybe 24 pounds, I'm, I would guess. But you'd have the most aggressive geometry XC race bike out there, and it would be mighty fun. And would you? I think for somebody like yourself, would you? You would be make. I think making up time on the downhills. I I do feel like that in some of the cross country races. I think I even do that now on the bike that I have. Um, but so if I was very very serious about racing and strictly concerned with my race results, I probably would not be contemplating this move. But the fun factor sounds pretty high. Have you guys looked at the new Kahuna? Uh, yeah, it 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 is long. It's so when I looked at the numbers, the at least the front end is fairly similar to the old Hey Hey because the Hey Hey was was pretty long. But that's a that's a good consideration. But there's still only aluminum this year. So the question is aluminum bike to aluminum bike, how much heavier is the Hanzo aluminum frame? I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. I almost sent an b- email over to the uh, local local uh, Kona rep asking him difference in frame weights. I got to think it that the 
Hanzo aluminum is a little bit thicker gauge aluminum or something. There's got to be something. I think it is. But I don't think it's going to be that much, especially aluminum. You know, I mean. It would be cool to get the most aggro geometry. I believe it's a degree steeper on the head tube angle to go to the Kahuna from the Hanzo. I think that is the. Um, but the stays are way shorter on the on the Hanzo. That's yeah. the truth. I think the ch- stays on the Hanzo are 16.7 on a, for a 29er. That's really good, and so and that the Hanzo that I mean even the, the the older version that I ride, it's amazing. I would attribute the the snappiness on that bike, um, definitely to those chain stays. So I'm hopeful that what the Hanzo is going to pull off for me is, I can keep up better on Tuesday night rides, and it goes hopefully downhill better than the kind of XC trail bike I had this year. So what's no more stable, a 29-inch wheel with no rear travel or a 27.5-inch wheel with 100 millimeters? That's that's a good question. That's a good question. So just uh, so the bike you are switching away from is the Giant Anthem Advanced. Or Anthem SX. Advanced SX. So Anthem it's 100 Advanced, millimeters yeah. of travel in the rear, 120 in the front. When it gets really steep and chunky, it feels a little bit noodly. Yeah, I, I also think that the and I don't think the Hondo is going to feel noodly. No, <laughs> uh, I also feel like um, if I had run heavier duty tires, the bike would have had a lot better chance. I was running a racing Ralph in the back and a knobby Nick in the front. That's, right, and and actually the Anthem Advance SX it, it does have. Depends on what fork you're going to run on the Hanzo, but if you're running a 120 fork on the Hanzo, I think the Anthem Advance has a half half degree steeper head angle. Uh, it's also got shorter reach by, gosh, that's uh, three tenths to four tenths. Of well, an and inch. when that half a degree steeper head angle, I think is nothing compared to the steering trail that you get with the, the added mm-hmm. steering trail adds so oh, much stability with the true. 29. Right, and it's not just the steering trail. You notice the 29 inch front wheel. And I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna have McNeilisms. Maybe one for every podcast. And uh, one 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 McNeilism that always comes to mind for me is that the talk about how with smaller wheels, there's just this tendency where the wheel is always kind of bouncing around a little bit side to side, and with a 29 inch wheel, it tends to just really track. That's I can I can I can understand that. Well, yeah. and and you know that. Again, to get you, I, I bet you're going. I bet you're running a slightly longer stem on that Anthem Advance SX than you would on a on a Hanzo. Absolutely, and that's a big deal too. Right? So, so the Hanzo, why I picture it being more stable, in addition to the things we've touched on: shorter stem, um, longer reach, longer wheelbase, more steering trail. One of the things that I think is going to be a really big deal is the added bottom bracket drop. I'm a I'm a really big fan of bottom bracket drop, and I feel like. What it does is it helps keep the wheels on the ground. Could you explain that a little bit in comparison between a 29er and a, and a 27 and a half? Yeah, that's a good question, Ock. So bottom bracket drop, if you drew a horizontal line from the rear axle to the front axle and then measure how far below or above that is above the bottom bracket, that's your bottom bracket drop. If it's above the bottom bracket, it's quote-unquote negative drop. Right, so the, the consideration between the wheel sizes is uh, – a 27.5 and a 29er with equal bottom bracket height, the 29er will have more bottom, bottom bracket drop. In other exactly. words, your feet will be lower, farther below the axle line than on a 27.5, which gives you a feeling of 
kind of in the bike versus on the bike. It's yeah. more well, in that direction. You know, it makes it harder to manual, but it also makes it harder to go over the bars. I, I right. Think. But, but, and, and this is something I have no quantitative evidence of, but I really believe that it makes it harder to override either suspension. That makes sense. Uh, that's, that's an interesting point. Maybe we could tease that out a little bit more. I'm pretty sure you guys could prove me right. <laughs> oh, it's very interesting. Man, the, the new Hanzo AL has a chain stay length of 16.3. I mean, just look at, look at the picture of that bike. Like that, that rear wheel is not getting any closer to that crank. Like that, that's, that's a, that's as short as you can get. That's I, freaking ridiculous. Well, I rode the bike and it rides really good. And yeah. I, I really am hopeful that it helps me keep up it on Tuesday nights. You guys are kind of talking me into this. <laughs> and you know what? Hey, just, just for a really, really cool bike, it's aluminum. It's pretty simple and they're really affordable. I mean, what's MSRP on the, on the frame alone? 600? I think it's about 600. Yeah. I mean, you can build a really fun bike with a $600 frame. This, it's a, it's a low risk experiment if it is an experiment. Yep. Yeah, and that's going to get you again, don't shy away from the the hardtail. I mean, there's so much there's so many great great and the Anthem Advance SX is a great full suspension oh, bike. The Anthem Advance SX did help me keep up on Tuesday nights until the gnarlier downhills and overall <laughs> I kept up better than I do on my Nomad. Um by quite a bit. But yeah, it was kind of scary. <laughs> it gets a little it's hairy. Absolutely perfect on Hawk at, at Oaks. And then right. right, right a little past that, it starts to, like, it starts to feel like the, that, you know, that revelation fork starts to feel like it's going to buckle and like. <laughs> yep. Those 32 mil stanchion forks sometimes just, especially these days when we have so many super stiff fork options out there, they're really starting to show how flexy they are by comparison now. Well, it, it's that, but it's also, you know, on the, on these really light frames, they do have more head tube flex than, than some of the heavier duty enduro style frames. Yeah. And w while the Anthem SX is mo meant to be kind of an aggressive trail bike, it's still at its core a cross country race frame. And when I say head tube flex, I really mean top tube and down tube flex that's extended down from the handlebars and. Right, right. It basically, you can feel that front axle kind of flexing towards your feet. Yeah, or if I if I twist the bars hard, I feel like I could I'm twisting the frame a little bit, you know. Yeah, definitely in that that kind of lateral front triangle flex. Yeah. I think if I got a Hanzo AL, I'd I'd really look for that 35 mil 35 mil stem. There you go. The reach on that is 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 um, two tenths longer than on the the Hanzo, the older Hanzo. 17.1. Oh wow. So it's pretty long. As it, then that's in a medium. I just don't, I don't really like how the front wheel weighting works with much shorter than a 50. I find yeah, okay. it hard to weight the front wheel. That makes sense. You're just not committed enough. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> just got to go as short as you can. Perhaps that was me being just getting over the hill right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I think there's some exciting stuff. I think we're all hovering or I think you two are pretty committed to the Hanzo aluminum. I'm starting to think more and more about it, but I think th that just tells you right there that um, 
for those that don't look at the Kona lineup, they always have some really cool bikes in, in their corner. And sometimes it's not the most obvious thing in their lineup, but they've got some cool stuff in their lineup. What I think is cool that they did this year is they went with long reach numbers, relatively long reach numbers, all the way down to the five and six, seven, eight hundred dollar hardtails. I think that's just a great move. Yeah, definitely. They, yeah, they, they know the technology works. It really doesn't cost any more. And once you're retooling the bikes anyway, go for it technology and that's gonna that's a really interesting point i mean that that's gonna allow you to find a a you know five or six hundred dollar bike to just get into the sport and and feel like you could you could actually upgrade that thing to to a pretty nice bike without having to sacrifice geometry yeah definitely maybe we all owe gary fisher an apology (laughs) (laughs) so uh we're actually creeping up on about an hour here, and I know a lot of the other shows on the network go about an hour. And one of the discussions we had with Ben is he suggested a segment that we do called uh, Will It Sell? Because we're so associated, you know, we're tight with the shop. Um, Tawny, you see what goes on there on a totally daily basis as to what's selling and what's not. Um, I think we we discussed this a little bit before the show started. We were kind of thinking about tweaking this segment a little bit. What what was kind of our idea there, Ock? I think we wanted to be not so negative like Ben. Come on, Ben. You got to be more optimistic here. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so, really what so, it is we want to we want to frame it in a way where we're going to talk about who it is for, not who it is. That's so, right. Who so, would buy it? Okay, so there's there's our segment. Who or who is it for? Or who who's going to buy it? Who's going to buy it? Who's it for? Who's it for? Let's go. Who's going to buy it? Who's going to buy it? Who's going to buy it? So what? Uh, I think. Um, since we're we're kind of bumping up against that hour mark and we're kind of later in the show, is there anything that's relatively small? Because I think at one point we had talked about um, talked about doing the twenty seven five plus, but I think that's a little bit lengthier discussion. We've uh, talked about it on some of our other pilot shows, but I think we'll revisit it in the future. Um, but is there anything relatively small coming out as to who's going to buy it that we can think of? Well, I mean downhill bikes. Oh, that's a. I guess it's a simple. It's a so simple the reason topic. I bring it up is because broad down, and simple downhill sales have been way down in the shop. We're we're the local shop. If there is one that stocks and sells downhill bikes and Liette braces and full faces, and the Liette braces and full faces and five ten shoe sales aren't down, but de- the the new generation of of enduro bikes definitely have taken away some of the downhill sales. Even even like the new new generation downhill twenty seven and a half. Absolutely. Um, we cut, we saw this trend developing in, in with the 2014 model year and we cut back our purchasing on downhill bikes and we still overpurchased. Yeah. And so just to give a little bit of background in Southern California, we're near uh, snow summit, which has recently reopened and put a hard effort into becoming a bike park. And in this area, um, a lot of people into downhill riding, a lot of people should have been super excited to buy downhill bikes, get new downhill bikes. When this park opened up, it's been open about two or three years now yeah in the first year it was open there was a little surge of downhill sales but an even bigger surge of you know these six inch travel super capable enduro gravity style bikes there's also some local really local uh cool downhill um um, race races going on fontana yeah you know is out there that's been going for man many years so there's a strong local shuttle scene and a strong local like push it to the top and ride it to the bottom scene yeah yeah definitely well, so I guess then that poses the question, 
who is so modern downhill bike we got carbon options aluminum options 27.5 wheels pretty much coming on online with full-blown downhill race bikes in in light of these super capable enduro bikes who's the downhill bike for well i think for one thing it's almost certainly someone who has more than one bike or who just only rides downhill okay so and i would say what i've seen is that typically is a lot of the younger kids that are kind of exclusively downhill um so it's it's either a second third maybe a fourth bike i think so i mean i've i've had a downhill bike every year in the last probably 10 years except for this last year and i don't think i'm going to have one this coming year either you did have a nomad though and that is so my my nomad has the same head angle as most of or you know it's as slack as most of the downhill bikes i've had a couple of the most recent ones were degree slacker it's slacker than you know my say ellsworth dare was in 2006 or whatever um, I would say the Nomad is more capable on the downhill than most 2008, 2009 era downhill bikes. True, true. Now, well, and what's, is it, so at the local, local bike park, uh, Snow Summit and, and even on some of the local shuttle scene trails, uh, really steep, uh, aggressive, um, I remember riding, was it? It might have even been with you, Tony, that we, we had both taken, I think we were riding the Process 153s up there. And after, you know, four or five runs, uh, one of us made the comment like, you know, this is super fun, but a downhill bike up here at a bike park seems to be like would allow you even to take it even have a little bit more fun yeah with all the jumps they've added up there and the way they've done in a lot of jump sections that aren't on real s- steep terrain i've i would say the park definitely is now better suited to not a downhill bike no oh, that's very interesting yeah. well I, the, I can get through the jump lines on the middle of westridge better on a 5010 than i can on a downhill bike because there's it's just hard to carry enough speed it's not very steep. The jumps have kind of uneven rhythms, and and uh, you know, for me, I've got to pedal between some of them. Yeah. Well, uh, last year was one of, or two years ago was the first time I ever went to Mammoth. Now, Mammoth has some really gnarly, super steep natural terrain, mm-hmm. and that's where I, if I knew I was going to Mammoth and and I still had a downhill bike, I would take it there. I'm actually going up this weekend for enduro racing but i'm taking the nomad for that race but for fun play riding up there there's some big drops and stuff so maybe pumice and chunk a lot of pumice a lot of really gnarly rocky chunky sections like really gnarly and uh so maybe it's for the guy who really at least in our area really likes to go to mammoth or has a condo up there spends a lot of time just beating on on uh, that area yeah and it's not to say that there's no place for a downhill bike in big bear either for sure. One thing I noticed and a thought that crossed my mind when I had a downhill bike is doing lifted riding and just pounding out runs all day long sometimes feels like arguably a little abusive on a bike. Absolutely. And it's, it's kind of nice to have a bike that's dedicated to that and not... Bigger pivots, bigger bearings, thicker layups. Yeah. 1,300 gram tires. Well, that's yep. the thing too. If Downhill tires are such a big part of the equation and it's, are you going to put those on your other bike or are you going to have a downhill bike? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely like I mean, I have a carbon nomad and so I mean just beating up on it all day kind of makes me cringe a little bit versus having a downhill bike where you're committed like this bike's gonna get abused. 
And I mean, I've damaged some downhill wheels before at Snow Summit. I've folded a rim pretty, or at least the rim um, channel really, really good up there. When I think that front and rear triangle on that Nomad can take the beating, but most downhill bikes have beefier pivots, bigger bearings. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so maybe it's the guy who really likes, so downhill bike customer is going to find himself maybe buying a season pass to one of these bike parks, doing a lot of just hammering and maybe it that's the bike that can take the abuse of just run after run after run after run and then he doesn't have to beat up on his uh enduro bike which sometimes are more expensive these days right well and it's also what's your fantasy i mean even if you're going to go to say whistler or or north star or deer valley or some of these places that are totally downhill bike legitimate if you're going to ride their flow trail and their jump line all day you might be better off on a more of a park style bike, right? Like, so it, it depends on what your fantasy is. And do you want to do a backflip or do you want to go fast through some chunky loose stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We've all, I think we've t- kind of talked about this. Say, say racing, uh, f- say the local Fontana races, local Fontana downhill races where there are some steep technical sections, but they're not prolonged and there's a decent amount of pedaling. What bikes have you heard or, or do we see? Is that is that downhill? Is that is that the downhill customer as well? It it could be, but there is that little dark piece of information. Every once in a while some of those pros go out there and they win the Fontana downhill on a on an enduro bike or a trail bike. For sure. A lot of them still win on downhill bikes too though. So I think that course maybe has some trade offs that can and and that course changes a lot from week to week. So right. it might be it might depend on the week. But definitely someone who's really interested in, I mean, definitely the downhill racer that's looking to travel or or is just committed to our local downhill series. But Well, it depends what your strengths are. If your strength is carrying momentum and hitting hitting all the lines smooth and carrying speed, you might be better on a downhill bike if your strength is that you can pedal really hard because there's some spots to do that on that course. Then maybe you're going to be better off on something a little firmer. There's always, I don't know, maybe... I just find there's something sexy about a downhill bike. It is nice to have one. I I I gotta say, even though I the 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 enduro bike I have is really capable, I still always that fluttering thought about getting a new downhill bike. I will own a downhill bike again someday. I always take a picture yeah. of my bikes with the seat down, anyways. I mean, that's <laughs> because of the downhill. It's yeah. sexy. Yeah, <laughs> the so, big forks. The so that being said, about who's gonna buy a downhill bike? Just out of curiosity. Got to buy a down. Got to take a downhill bike home today. That's out and available. What's your What's your guys's pick? That's a great question. I I, I have yet to try a twenty seven and a half inch wheel downhill bike, and I'm really curious too. And uh, <clears throat> I wonder what I mean. I mean, to me, you know, a sixty three degree head angle on twenty seven and a half inch wheels sounds like a lot to corner, but I want to try it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an interesting commentary that it seems like a lot of the pros are going to that twenty seven and a half. Oh, almost across the board, right? They're definitely faster in a straight line, and those pros can make them corner. Yeah, definitely. So, is that Kona Supreme? Is that twenty seven and a half, or is that the carbon? The carbon, the Kona carbon downhill bikes are still twenty six. They have one aluminum twenty seven five. Which, by the way, that would be my pick. It might be mine as well. Yeah, is, what, which one is that? That's the. Uh, it's. I think it's called the Operator two seven five. Operator two seven five. Or the Santa Cruz? Ah, uh, the V10. The V10. I think the V10 
it's what a three to four year old design at this point. Um, yeah. I think we're we're entering into a, a phase or we've been in a phase of mountain bike product where three year old da- downhill bikes that were designed three years ago aren't the one you want to get. Yeah, there's unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole another. I, I mean, there's definitely no. You know, we were. I think the V10 is actually a great choice for a lot of people still to this day. But the, there's there's that whole. When I said they're not the ones you want to get, what I really meant is that's every. Our customer base seems to be always clamoring for something fresh and 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 new. Yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, I think we. Had some good commentary on the new downhill bikes there. I think we're all, we definitely uh, have brand preferences, at least in this group. We're fans of Santa Cruz and Kona, and um, Giant obviously makes great stuff too. But uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, you guys want to wrap it up for the night. We're about an hour 15 in and and uh, save stuff for future shows. I can't believe that was an hour and 15. It's been a lot of fun, guys. Definitely. Time flies when you're having fun with good friends. That's yeah. right. <laughs> All right. So this uh, that wraps up maybe our first episode. Maybe it's definitely not our first episode, but we're we're getting closer to getting an episode out to the public. And uh, so from the Path Bike Shop in uh, Tribuco Canyon uh, for Nathan Ock and Tani, uh, hope you enjoyed another episode. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>